How many of you all have ever had a tough test? A tough test. You kids better raise your hands. I know your teachers. I can make life miserable for you in the fall. Most of us have had a brutal test at some time in our life. I'm going back to my junior year in college, which was six years ago. Uh, Clayton and I and Mary, we went to Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. Union was at that time probably, it was a, you know, it was under 2,000 students. It was not a big college at all. And they, they had not divided their, their biology and their science department up where you had majors and you had non-majors uh, taking different science classes. So I'm taking biology one, and I'm in there. I'm going to be a football coach, and I'm in there with these. And football coaches are very smart people. Coaches are very smart people, right? Coach, 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 coach. They're very smart. But we ain't doctors. You know what I'm saying? We had different goals. And so you had these pre-meds in there. You had the, the, the nursing students in there. The, the very next year, by the way, they split it up. They had biology for majors and non-majors. But I'm in this class uh, for, for biology. And my goal is to get out of the class successfully. That is my biology goal. And the teacher is, uh, she's a great teacher. She's very, very thorough. The university had a great track record of getting people in medical school that went through the program as pre-med. So they did a great job. And I'm in this class. And we take our first test about six weeks into the class. And uh, I was already a Christian then, so I didn't stay out the night before partying. I just ate Little Debbie's and visited till 2 or 3 in the morning. But I did study about an hour for this biology test. You, you're getting this probably wasn't enough, aren't you? And so we, we sit down for the test, and it's multiple choice. Now, me, multiple choice is my favorite type of test. Because if you have some idea, you can get it, right? I mean, if it's fill in the blank and you don't know what, you are dead in the water. But... I am not making this up. Here was this lady's multiple choice test. Most of them are A, B, C, and D, correct? This was A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. There were letters I'd never seen in the alphabet before. And needless to say, after that test, God led me to drop that class and retake it with a different professor next year. I'm still scarred by that 30 years later. Tough test. Galatians chapter 5 this morning, we got a tough test. Now, if you'll come back next week, I'm going to throw a softball at you. But today, it's a, it's a hardball. It's tough stuff. Galatians chapter 5. And if you uh, have your Bibles, you can look in your Bibles. Or the scriptures will be on the screen. We're going to read verse 19 through 21. It says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions. Isn't this a beautiful list? Verse 21, envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not go to heaven someday. Now, verse 22 and 23 is the contrast. This is what we're going to talk about next week. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of God living in you, our nine qualities, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Verse 19 through 21, our subject today, these are ugly things. These are what the Bible says are works of the sinful nature. If you're a Christian today, you have two natures in you. You still have your old sinful nature, but you have your Christian nature. Christ lives in you. You have your God nature in you. But you still struggle with both of those. You're going to see that this morning in this passage. 
Uh, if you're not a Christian, you have one nature, and that's a sinful nature. These things we're going to look at this morning, what we want to look at, we want to see is how dominant, how evident are these things in our life. If you're taking notes, this is important. These are character issues. These are behavioral. This is your attitude. This is relational. It's who you are from the inside out. So let's test ourselves this morning. Let's test ourselves today. Fifteen qualities. The list is not exhaustive. I mean, there could be certainly more things. You look in verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. The word obvious there means they're shining, they're manifest. It's on the inside and it comes outside. What I want you to do is be honest with yourself this morning. And maybe have the courage to get your husband or your wife or the people you work with to be honest with you and to say, what do you see in this list in me without hitting them when they respond to you? Be honest with yourself. Some scholars divide this list into three lists. There's the sins of pleasure, there's sins of religion, and there's the social sins. I guess that's, that's a nice, neat list, and it's probably true. Let's dive into it. Number one, sexual immorality in verse 19. They're obvious, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, this two-word English phrase in the the original language. Remember, the New Testament was written in Greek. This Greek word is a, a word literally transliterated, pornea, where we get our English word what? Pornography from. If you were here back several months ago, we did a four-part series on sex, and we talked about that a lot. It's a very inclusive word, this word. It, it literally it, it encompasses fornication. Fornication is, is sex between two people who are not married. Adultery is included in this word. Adultery is sex between a married person and someone they are not married to. It would encompass homosexuality. It certainly un- it encompasses lust and pornography. And, and you know what always interests me when you do a little historical research is you find that the world Jesus and Paul lived in, the Greco-Roman world, was actually more immoral than our world today. Can you imagine that? See, sometimes we think the Bible was written in a library by some professor who never touched sin. They, they were exposed to it all the time. So this is a guy, a real guy, God's writing this through in a real-world situation just like he is to us this morning. How's your sexual morals today? You know, I don't think it's an exaggeration. If you were to go around in Ruston, in Ruston, the buckle of the Bible Belt, literally a church on every corner, sometimes two on a corner, and you were to ask people, is sex outside of marriage wrong? And they were really honest with you. Most of them would probably say no. The Bible says clearly that it's wrong. Pornography in America is a 10 to 14 billion, billion, billion dollar a year industry. You're testing yourself. How's your sexual morals today? Now, the next two go along with this, and that the next word is impurity. I'm sorry, we will have to work through these rather quickly. Impurity. What does this mean? It means unnatural pollution. It's like a soiled garment. It's the vulgar person. The, the man or even the lady who's got a bad mouth, who likes to tell the dirty jokes, who's just crude. Now, everybody can, if they're not careful, can let words slip. But is the habit of your life, are you a vulgar and a vile person? 
The next word is really a bad word, debauchery. You don't want to be accused of debauchery, do you? You can't spell it, so you don't want to be accused of it. In verse 19, impurity and debauchery. What is debauchery? Debauchery is there's no restraints. It's just shamelessness. In other words, it's, it's parading vulgarity and immorality. And, and honestly, the best illustration of that today would be Miley Cyrus. Now, Brian worked for 15 hours to find a good picture of her. And he found it. I'm not trying to kick Miley. I'm just trying to tell you her claim to fame in the last year is debauchery. It's just being vulgar and vile. And that's exactly what God is talking about here. 2012, there was a study done of television shows. And the average viewer, not some of you would be average viewers, some of you may not be, but this is incredible. Over a course of one year in 2012, the average American watched not literally the act, but 14,000 sexual encounters of some kind. Most of them obviously were implied, but maybe heavily implied. 14,000 times in one year. And and probably 98% of those were not between Ward and Gene Cleaver on Leave it to Beaver, between married couples. It was between people who weren't married. We live in a world today that kind of flaunts sexual immorality and debauchery. I don't know if that's you this morning. If it is... That's a warning sign. That's not a good thing. Number four is idolatry. That's a great Old Testament word, isn't it? But you can hear Moses saying that. Verse 20, idolatry. What is idolatry? It's, it's worshiping anything. Prior, listen, prioritizing anything over God is idolatry. Now, I look at the Old Testament, and I think those people must have been complete goofballs. I mean, who, who worships a stinking cow? You make gold into a cow and you worship a cow. Who makes a, a board or a totem pole and worship it? Who worships the moon or the sun? Complete goofballs. It's easy to look at that and go, none of us struggle with that. But idolatry is way bigger than that. Idolatry is prioritizing anything over Jesus Christ. Everyone in here knows Tiger Woods. You don't know him. You know who he is. Tiger Woods, arguably, was the greatest golfer there was for many, many years. He's had some problems in recent days. I read something this week Charles Barkley, great basketball player, said about Tiger Woods. They apparently were real good friends at one time. He said they were not good friends anymore. Something happened and, and they don't talk. But he said he realized Tiger had a problem when he realized that Tiger Woods, the most important thing to him, this is when he was a married man with kids, was was being the greatest golfer ever. His, his driving passion and goal was to, to beat Jack Nicklaus and be the greatest golfer ever. That was his God. Now, I want to ask you, what's your God this morning? What, what, seriously, what comes before Jesus? For many of us men, it can be our jobs, can't it? It's easy for it to be that. We find our identity in it. Maybe it's your, your, the pursuit of money. That's something that that we prioritize over God. Now listen, here's a good thing. Family. You know, your family ought to be the second most important thing after Jesus. And some of us, listen, we're going, we're, we're going to be more loyal. We're going, to, we're going to build our lives more around our family than we are Jesus. That is idolatry. And see, at first when you thought all this 
stuff that we just seen about debauchery and it didn't apply to you, you're going to get off easy. This is pretty tough, isn't it? You putting anything over Jesus? Some of us, it's just ourselves. <laughs> Our world's about me, mine, mine, and we put self over God, idolatry. The next word is witchcraft. Witchcraft. Now, here's an interesting twist on witchcraft. The Greek word is transliterated pharmakia. What English word would we get from pharmakia? Pharmacy. Now, witchcraft here certainly could be talking about uh, casting spells and witches. It was certainly involved with the, the cult. But this was also a word talking about drug use. One of the things, if you can imagine 2,000 years ago, you didn't think when Jesus and, and Paul were walking around, there were drug addicts, but there, there was. When they would do their, their, their occult worship, a lot of times they would use drugs. Now, I don't know if you're into literal witchcraft. If you are, that is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you this morning... If you're addicted to meth, if you're addicted to prescription drugs, that is not of the Holy Spirit. You see, a lot of times we just look at a drug addict and we say, well, that's a psychological problem. Certainly it is. Or we say it's a physical problem and certainly it becomes that. But the ultimate deal with a drug addict, it is a spiritual problem. Are you following me? It's a spiritual problem. How are you doing with that? Witchcraft, pharmacy. Our next word, and this is where, again, it begins to get a little more personal, hatred. I want you to think just for a second with me. When, when God wrote this through Paul, this originally went out to churches. This was not being circulated at the bars. This wasn't being circulated at the strip clubs. This was being circulated among churches. So it was church people originally that were going to hear this and that, that Jesus wanted them to examine themselves. The next word is hatred. What does that word mean? It just means hostile. It's a mean person. It's somebody who just doesn't like people. I've been amazed as a Christian that how we will, we will certainly rightly say debauchery, man, that is terrible, sexual immorality, that doesn't need to happen. But we will justify hating people and being mean to people. Jesus said the greatest indicator that you are a Christian is that you have a love for other people. Are you a hater this morning? If you are, that's not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Number seven is discord. Discord. Natural result of hatred. This is the quarreling person, the strife causer. Again, I think we have been able in our past to look and say, well, you know, there's certain things we can, boy, those are really bad. But, man, who tears up the team? Who tears up the church? Who tears up the, the family? Uh, it's not witchcraft in my family. I want to tell you what it is. It's discord. Uh, literally 2,000 years ago, they had a Greek goddess mythical goddess, obviously, and the Eris. Eris was the goddess of strife. Look her up on the internet when you get home. She's really a creepy figure. You would have to be. The, the Latin name for her was Discordia. Friend, if, if you are a strife causer, I'm not talking about someone who plays and picks. I'm talking about if you stir the pot up at work, on the team, at home, at church, that is not a fruit of God in your life. 
That's not a good sign. Number eight, jealousy. You want what others have. Certainly, this, this comes from, from hate, I think, and a dislike for people. Now, are you seeing yourself a little bit? You don't have to raise your hand. Don't point at my wife. <laughs> but we all have some of this in us, don't we? Jealousy. Number nine, fits of rage. This is the outburst. This is the hothead. Here's another Christian okay thing to do. People say, well, I just, you know, I, I remember growing up, I had a friend whose dad was really a hothead. And, and I remember a lady saying, well, he just has an Irish temper. I, you know, when you're 10, it was an Irish temper. No, he didn't. He was just immature. He was 50, and he acted like he was four. See, we have, we have justified. We said, well, I'm I just born this way. You know, I'm just a hothead. Granddad was a hothead. Dad was a hothead. It's sin. It's sin. There are reasons to get angry in life. There's about that many. I hear people justify their anger by saying, Jesus got mad. Look why he got mad. He didn't get mad because he didn't get his way or people were not being nice to him. I mean, they killed him and he didn't get mad. Fits of rage, that is not... That's not a personality problem. Ultimately, that is a spiritual problem. The next one, selfish ambitions. Isn't that an ugly one too? See, and boy, this is where it does get personal, doesn't it? The, the, the selfish ambition, this is the, person, this is the person who life's about them. We all struggle with this to some degree. If you were really to go home and ask your husband or wife or your parents or... Parent, young people, if your parents set you down today and they said, please be honest and you will not get punished, I wonder how many of us would be able to say to someone or they would say it to us, yes, you are selfish. You're selfish. You're always wrangling and angling for you. 1993, uh, Bill Clinton had just been in office about a year, and I'm not kicking Bill and Hillary or anything like that. It's just telling you a historical thing that's interesting. And I remember Hillary was interviewed about some decision that was made. And here's what she said. It's all about getting reelected. And I'm thinking, okay, you've been in office one year. It's three years before the next election. And you're already angling and wrangling and saying, we're making decisions, not what's best for America, but so we can get reelected. Now, I'm not going to kick her because you're like that and so am I. That's not a good thing. How, how evident and strong is that in your life and in my life? The, the next two words go together, dissensions and factions. I, I, find this, I find this very interesting that three times this sin is mentioned with three different descriptive words. Discord, dissensions, factions, separating folks, having a party spirit. You've experienced this person. You've experienced them in the neighborhood as a young person. You've experienced them in school, in sports. You've experienced them at church, unfortunately. You've experienced them at work. A lot of that selfish ambition, they angle, they wrangle, they, they divide people. Is that you? That's tough. It's bad. Next word's not pretty either. It's envy. 
This is the person who is pained when other people are blessed. Wall Street Journal in March of this year had an article about envy. And here's what they said. People who struggle heavily with envy are going to be more depressed. They're going to be more neurotic, more paranoid. And ultimately, when you're neurotic and paranoid and depressed, it comes out in physical symptoms. Man, check your heart on this. And this is one for all of us. Envy. And then the next one, drunkenness. Verse 21, envy and drunkenness. What does that word mean? It means exactly what you think it means. It's drinking to excess. It's drinking to get drunk. And again, to go back 2,000 years, it's um, to know the alcohol problem then was terrible. And the alcohol abuse problem today is terrible. But here's a mistake we make with alcohol, just like with drugs, is we tend to think, well, that's a psychological addiction. It becomes that. We tend to say, well, it's just a physical addiction. Yes, it becomes that. But ultimately, it is a spiritual problem. So we don't want to say that. We we don't want to say that I drink too much or my friend drinks too much because there's a God problem in their heart. But that's exactly what this verse is saying. It's a God issue here. And the last word he uses is obviously uh, uncomfortable for all of us, orgies. Orgies. The Roman world, drunken sexual brawls, common. They worshipped a a Greek god called Bacchus. He was the god of agriculture and wine. And when they would have these festivals to Bacchus, there would be just tons of of alcohol. And there would be all kinds of free sex and immorality going on. And, and, And Paul said to them, God said to them through Paul, Man, if that's the habit of your lifestyle, Christ does not live in you. Christ does not live in you. You know, I, I guess one of the things that came to my mind this week as I prepared is, is a lot of what you, you see going on in Florida at spring break now with college students. Certainly not all, but I, and maybe it's not to the level of a festival of Bacchus, but you see some, some, some pretty wild things. And I'm not sure you have to be a rocket scientist on some of those to put them together that something's spiritually wrong. Others of those things, it's a little more hidden. It's a little more disguised, but it's just as real. The person who has a temper problem in God's eyes has just as big a problem as the drunk. The selfishly driven, divisive person is just as in trouble with God as the drug addict. So I want to ask you a hard question. What are your test results? Nobody's going to read your paper. We're not going to have a a confession time with a mic. Uh, Really, what? how do you grade out this morning? Let me give you three options. One is you did okay. I mean, you're honest with yourself, and you can say, I am a Christian. Christ lives in me. I struggle with some of these things, but this is not who I am. At least I'm not anymore. I'm a different person. That's awesome, but keep your guard up. 
I was reading this week a great New Testament scholar named A.T. Robertson. A.T. Robertson was many years back, but he, he, he was a great scholar of the Bible. And, and he was writing about this passage, and at the end of it, he said, all of us have to be on guard against these things. And I was thinking, wow, here's this 70-year-old professor saying, I've got to guard myself in these areas. So stay, stay alert. Here's the second option. A sep- second option is I'm a Christian, but there are problems. You, you can say this morning, you know, I know Christ lives in me. I belong to Jesus. But as I look at this list, it's, there's just too many things or there's some things that are too flagrant. Now, here's the difference between a, a, a non-Christian and a Christian. A Christian can do these things. We do these things while we're here on this earth. A Christian is not comfortable in them. And they're not happy in them. In other words, can a Christian lose his temper, say things they shouldn't, drink too much, or, or do some of those things they shouldn't do, have selfish ambition and be envious? Absolutely. But they're not comfortable in that. They know it's wrong, and they're, they're, they're not going to want to live in that. that. That may be you this morning. The third option is this. You don't belong to Christ. In verse 21, there's a very subtle statement at the end of the verse. I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those three words, live like this, what that literally means, if this is the habitual practice of your life, you don't belong to Christ. In other words... If you look at this list and you say, you know what? The truth is there's, there's several of these things that I am guilty of. And that's kind of who I am. I'm comfortable in it. I don't feel guilty about it. God's saying he loves you deeply, but you don't belong to him. So here's what I want to challenge you this morning. You've got to take your test results. And I'm going to help you in a second. You've got to make the right decisions for you or it's not going to go well. The great news is you can make the right decisions for you and it can go great. Let's pray. If you're a Christ follower... Are there things today God's putting his finger on in your life that you need to repent of? Things that are wrong, that are broken? Man, with the help of God, repent of them this morning. Certainly there are people here this morning, as you looked at this, as God's spoken to you, the truth is that you don't belong to him. Fix that today. Would you pray with me where you're seated and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died and that you arose for me. Jesus, today I give you my life. Come into my heart. And save me, Jesus.
let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand. And when we do, I want you to respond to Jesus. Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart or you're ready to do that. When we stand, would you come today? Would you leave your seat and would you come? There'll be ministers down here. We can help you. I know it's hard, but you can, you can, you can clear the sheet with Christ today. Come to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're looking for a church home. We would love for you to join our church today. One way you can do that when we stand is you can come. Ministers will be down here. We'll help you. You can join our church family today. We would love for you to do that. But Christian, here's my last challenge to you. Whether it's where you're standing or at the altar, when we stand, do business with God today. What he's pointed out to your heart, what you've seen, repent of it and ask God to cleanse you and to help you moving forward. Let's stand. And as we sing, you